everybody. This is Maurice over here at Stoke Meter, and today we have Anthony Capazzoli of Dismantled Life. And Anthony, what the world is Dismantled Life? Explain, <laughs> explain a little bit about what that is. Certainly. Uh, so Dismantled Life is my podcast and website that I've dedicated to my recovery from alcohol and cocaine and nicotine. And I called it Dismantled Life because in order to recover, I had to completely dismantle and rebuild my entire life from the ground up, which is what I've done. And I'm proud to say that I'm alive here on this podcast because I've done so. Yes. And one thing that I'll share with the audience, I mean, this is, this is, meter is something that we do for fun. I actually met Anthony uh, through some work experiences. And when I heard about this aspect of him, I was absolutely blown away. I had no idea whatsoever that he had gone through this journey. And when I had heard about this, it literally floored me. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that, that getting to know people becomes so important. And I hope that you folks find what we're going to be talking about useful. So Anthony, I'm just wondering, it'll get down into the nitty gritty of it all, but how did the whole process of addiction begin? I mean, everyone says it just started with that one small thing. Right. But what was the progression that, that led to addiction? So the, the basis of it is I blamed everybody else for my shit, part, part of it. <laughs> sure. And, and I lied to myself uh, for most of my life about who I was and what I wanted to become and what I was doing to get there. Um, I was taking, I was cutting corners. I wasn't truthful with myself. Um, I did have and grew up in an alcoholic household, but that's my, it's not the reason. I mean, it's part of my story, but you make your own choices as an addict and an alcoholic and you do things to get you there. Right. Yes, it's a disease. And I respect that completely. However, it really comes down to choices and bad choices you make and, and the, kind of the concept. So growing up, I started drinking in eighth grade and it became something that I did so very often that I never stopped. And it became just drinking on the weekends turned into drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then you know, you keep stacking on days because that becomes your normal and it happens in a gradual slide. I'm not going to lie to people and say, most, some people have their first drink and they're fucked for the rest of their life Yes, um, yep. or cigarette or line of blow or wh whatever it might be. Um, the, the other side of that, so I'm so sorry. My wife is using the blender. For oh, some don't reason. worry. You'll see I my dog coming in back that. and forth too. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, so it, in the, the basis of my addiction was uh, just a daisy chain of very bad choices. And then believing that I was living outside of myself, chasing stuff all the time. And, and it became this noise in my life. I have to make more money to buy the nicer car, not make more money to save more money. And I put all of these external ridiculous pressures on myself and I made bad choice after bad choice and failures I internalized and chased with my addictions is kind of the crux. And so, and I guess the way to sum it up is my secrets had sharp edges where I was never happy with myself. I was never confident with myself in myself. And I always tried to take shortcuts or fake my way through stuff. Sure. And I never looked at myself in real terms of who I was. And I used the alcohol, the cocaine and the cigarettes as a lubricant to fake it as a lubricant to become who I thought I needed to be in whatever situation that was. And that was always different 
depending on who I was with or who I was around. I couldn't stand silence. I couldn't stand noise. I couldn't stand people not liking me. And I hated people liking me. It was a really weird, weird cycle. Paradox. Yeah. yeah. And, and it turned into drinking every day, spending thousands of dollars on cocaine and smoking. Uh, and I chased myself right into fucking hell. Right. Just like people in my family had done who had gone through the same thing instead of learning from their mistakes. And again, these are my problems, my challenges, my issues. I am not blaming anyone but myself here. Yeah, I, I didn't I, learn from their examples. And I, I started to do to my children what happened to me. Got it. And I almost died. And we'll get into that too. But it was, it, it, it's a slow roll into hell, man. It's brutal. Right. So you bring up some things where where you started to delve into yourself. <laughs> I'm just yeah. wondering at what point did you realize that you needed to really make a change? Now that that's just a blanket question that almost yeah. everyone asks. Right. But literally you, you go through this slide and uh, an addiction, let's face it. It is one crazy mother thing, man. It when, is. You, when you look at it, 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 it could be anything right? Food addiction, drug, drug addiction, what have you. Yeah. What was it that you, that you, that you realized, man, if I don't make this change, something's going to happen because quite frankly, when I first met you, I would, again, I would have never in a million years guessed any of this because you had, you, you had come to terms with yourself. You, I saw a confident individual willing to give everything to everybody, a transition to that dude. I mean, that was a long journey. So I'm, I'm just wondering what, what started that journey? So there, for me, it was a very hard, rocky, long rock bottom. And I bounced for a while. Mm -hmm. So I had faked it and got so good at faking it that I could mask myself into any situation, whether it was a work event, whatever it would be socially in my family work events, et cetera. So I could become whatever I needed to become. And that was usually due to the alcohol and the cigarettes. And I used it as kind of a, a happy mask. My curse, my Achilles heel and all that was I was a damn good time. No one yelled at me for being drunk or coked up because they loved hanging out. They loved spending time. I was fun. I would go for days and, and I never was a mean drunk. Right. In terms of being around me socially, like I was always a good time. I was always willing to go have fun and all that shit. So that was my curse. That was my, that was my Achilles heel in that sense. And that one had gone on for so long. I had gained 30, 35 pounds. My blood pressure was, I'm just making this up now, but it, it was like 200 over hundred. It was obnoxious. Wow. And I didn't know any of this, but I obviously the weight gain I did, but I had been drinking and smoking and partying every day, all day. I'd get up in the morning at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning to do fucking more cocaine for God's sake. Oh, um, to start my day. And then I would do Coke all day long until right. I could justify drinking at five o'clock somewhere bullshit, you know, and then I would drink to ladder down, but I would smoke all day long. And then what started to happen is I chased it so much that I gave everything up. I mean, everything was coming or crumbling around me, my marriage, my relationship with my children, every work environment, uh, everything was just crumbling and falling apart. And it was because of me, 100% because of me, but I was not taking it that way. I was blaming everybody else. This is your problem. The world is, the world hates me. I got bad juju, whatever the hell it was. I was always making it up. It was always somebody else's fault. And it got to be so bad that, oh, it, it, I'd spun out so bad that 
I would have died except for one thing. And that is that I nearly died. And I'll explain what I, that's a wake up call. (laughs) Yeah. I had gone to a Cubs game with a friend of mine and it was a Friday afternoon game, I believe. And I'd come home and I said to my wife, after the game, you know, drunk and whatever you do at a Cubs game, like everybody else does. But then in the morning I woke up, I said, Hey, my finger is killing me. And she's like, and I'm like, I feel like I jammed it or I got a piece of like a, glass shard or something in there and i don't know what's going on yeah and she's like of course you're just being a pussy because you're hungover and you're saying this because you don't want me to yell at you want me to feel sorry for you but this is just yet again something you do every day kind of thing and you could tell right when you're starting to reach the end of everybody's limit in your life because no one calls you back no one wants to hang out with you no one wants to come over no one wants to spend time people are pissed you get short answers and all those tells are there for years and then you just run people out you dry them out of anything for you and it's your fault as the addict so I said to, to my wife and she's like, she had to go to a baby shower and she did. And I stayed home with the kids and she took a picture of me to show as a joke, how hungover I was. Oh. And I was complaining about my, my finger. And then she happened to show somebody at the, I think it was a, it's a bridal party or a baby shower. I don't exactly remember, forgive me for that. Right. Uh, and then what she happened to be a nurse and said, oh, Hey, um, listen, like you need to go home and, and take him to the hospital right now. That stripe going up his arm is an infection. And wait, if wait. she could see it in a picture to give you an idea. No and my way. hand started to balloon. Um, if you could think of a cartoon hand. Yeah. Like ballooning. And she's like, you have to go home and take him to the hospital. So I'm going to pause the story right there for a second and go back about two, three weeks, maybe four. Every right. night for about four weeks, I would wake up at two or three in the morning drenched in sweat. I would have to change my shirt. I would have to change sheets. I would have to go to a different bed. And I thought it was just something who knew, right. but keep in mind, I wasn't getting much sleep because I was drunk and coked up until usually two, three or four in the morning every night. But when I did sleep, I would sweat profusely. And what I mean profusely, I mean soaked through, man. Like I look like I been like a pitcher of water was dumped over my head. Right. And didn't connect dots because I was always in a state of hangover and my body was always internally in a state of chaos because cocaine and alcohol and, you know, any kind of addiction will do that to you. It disturbs your internal balance of things so bad that you start to normalize shit. That is your body telling you, Hey, something is jacked up here. And if sweating at two in the morning and so profusely that you wake up and you, you could wring the sheets out, doesn't tell you that something's wrong. It's because you're drunk and hungover and coked up and you don't care. Exactly. Right. And so this goes for about a month. And then finally that Saturday after the Cubs game, my wife comes home and says, I got to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And I went and I just assumed I am still thinking in my head that I had jammed my finger or I have a small sliver in there that I just don't know. Right. I can't find. So I go, they take me to the ER take my blood pressure. And I'll never forget. The nurse looks up at me, looks down at the blood pressure monitor, looks back up at me. And she's like, I'll be right back. And then leaves. But you could, I could tell that something on her face was weird. (laughs) So a minute or so later ish, the doctor kicks the door into my room, like John Wayne going into a tavern (laughs) kind of style. Like uh, we are admitting you right now to the hospital. Your blood pressure was like 200 over 100, something ridiculous. Right. And you have cellulitis and this is an infection and you're getting septic. Oh, you're uh, kidding. You're going septic. 
yeah, dude. So my body is completely in turmoil and he doesn't, he just gives me kind of the top of the wave description. He's like, you have to go in. So he asked me, do you smoke? Yes. Do you, you know, he goes, okay. Do you want to take the ambulance? Yes or no. And I said, well, no, it, it, my wife will come and get me the, the, the parent hospital to the mother, to the daughter hospital. I was at like a satellite location. Right. Um, was just a few minutes away and I'll save the $800 for the hospital, for the ambulance ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because and I'm not even kidding you when I say this. I'm thinking that's eight hundred dollars more of cocaine I could buy. Yeah, and so she comes to get me, and the doctor's like, "Do not smoke in the car. You will broke out or have a heart attack. Like, don't smoke." Wow. Okay, fine. So I don't. And now, keep in mind, I'm a day sober at this point. I woke up. This is I'm clean, clean right. at this point. I haven't ingested anything new into right. my toxic toxic body, and I go to the hospital. They're waiting for me. Now, I don't know, you know, for you, but here in the Chicagoland area, they're not waiting for you or anybody at the doors of a hospital, a wheelchair, <laughs> yeah. unless you're the Pope or the yeah. president or something. And so they're waiting. And I, I thought, well, that's odd. <laughs> you know, like they're waiting. For <laughs> yeah. And so sit down and they wheel me over to the registration and they take me straight up to the room. And uh, then the, the doctors come in and they, they have like a team assemble. And they set me up on four IVs, two in each arm to these IV towers. Oh, and they come in and tell me that you have such a bad infection that your organs are shutting down from the outside in to protect your core. And we've never seen it quite so bad before. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm making this a shorter description for the listeners, but they're <laughs> like, we, we've never seen this bad of inf an infection. You've had it, you've got it so bad that right. we can't pinpoint the, your source date based on how bad you are. Like you should be dead. Like they, they're like, you, you, you should wow. be dead right now. You should not be alive. We, we, you know, and so they're doing what they have to do. And meanwhile, my left arm is puffed up and becomes like, if you could think of like jello under your skin and red yep. and puffy. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, yep. And it settled into my arm and the pain in my left hand was so bad that I, I was close to vomiting the whole time because it, my, it, it was just intense resonated pain and heat and it was terrible. Uh -huh. So they come in, but the third day they're trying to figure out the right mix of antibiotics and other things to kill this infection. Right. And the, but the third day, my, my doctor, orthopedic surgeon and my infectious diseases doctor come in and the infectious diseases doctor kind of takes the lead and says, look, like we're not winning anymore. Like you're losing this fight. Your infection is it actually increasing if that's possible at this point, meaning the medication we're giving you isn't helping at all. You're going to die. Oh my gosh. You're, you're not going to make it out of here. And my wife is sitting there. She's done nothing whatsoever to deserve any of this. My children yeah. are at home, right? With my mom, because I'm in the hospital for three days at this point and get your stuff in order. Financially speaking, you're, you're not going to make it out of here is what Holy he, moly. That, you know, what he says. And I said, okay, shit. He's like, we're going to keep doing whatever we can. Right. So, you know, here's, this is Dr. Welch. He's your orthopedic surgeon. He's going to talk to you now. And right. he's like, well, we're going to try to extract your infection through cutting your finger open and bleeding you out essentially. What? And, what? Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure there's a better medical term for that. I'm just, I'm <laughs> yeah, you know what they did to you though. <laughs> yeah. So they tell me, they wheel me in, uh, we schedule this surgery and they, they wheel me in and they put me under 
Right. And they go out and talk to my wife and they say, look, um, here's how this is going to go. We're going to cut his finger open. He, if he doesn't bleed within 30, whatever the time is, I'm going to say 30 seconds. That means that that tissue is dead and we have to oh. amputate because it, he'll die. He'll get, right. you know, gangrene essentially. Damn. And so he's like, we're going to start with the finger. They move up in piecemeal up your hand every few inches until we get the blood to bleed. If we get him to bleed at the, within the time frame. Right. So he cuts my finger and I didn't make the time limit. And the, I happen to get, this is God's grace. I really believe this. I happen to get one of the best, if not the best orthopedic surgeons <laughs> you could get. Right. I didn't choose Dr. Welch. Dr. Welch just happened to be on right I, there. What are the, what are the odds? Yeah. I had talked to other orthopedic surgeons who would have, they just all said, every one of them, we would have just started amputating. We wouldn't have taken the risk. And Dr. Welch didn't amputate. He, huh. he said he was prepared to cut all the way my entire arm off. You're if, kidding. Oh. No, because the infection was so bad. But he let me go and waited another couple seconds and I started to bleed a little bit. So he did what he did to push the infections out and different things uh, and put me back in my room. I woke up and, you know, pain was excruciating. And it was so bad. <laughs> put it this way, the Dr. Welch himself came to check my dressings and, and change them. So nurses on the floor were like, Dr. Welch doesn't, and he's a wonderful doctor and it is, right. I'm not disparaging other doctors, but right. uh, surgeons don't come around very often afterward to tend to your sutures or tend to your, uh, you know, the way that they've mended you with the gauze and things. And yes. he came to change the dressings for God's sake, That's to check on me because That's, it was so bad. You know and, what? It, it's 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 blind. I, I'm sorry to go off topic, but no. to see you moving your hands like that, what you're doing, and to understand that that happened. That yeah. So you can see my finger, and I'll get to this in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. The couple of days go by. The infection starts to reappear. It's, so the infection didn't go away, but it's starting to resettle into my hand. The pain's coming back. Right. So Dr. Welch, and this is the other part that makes him a, a wonderful and magical surgeon, says we're going to go in for second round. And so this is now my second surgery with the same issue. And they don't normally do that, right? Because again, they should have started amputating and he's such a wonderful surgeon and took a huge medical risk with me. Yes. Um, and in this, I should also mention that other doctors were coming in to see me because I was medically interesting. <laughs> you, you don't want to be- Good thing. <laughs> you don't want to be the doctor, the patient in the hospital that is medically interesting as it were. <laughs> Because you're usually in a bad spot at that very point. bad spot, <laughs> you know, and they're coming in and they took wonderful care of me um, at Edwards Hospital in Naperville. I, I do have to put some props out the nurses and the attendants on the floor and the nurses assistants and the surgeons and the doctors. They were really a magical team. I couldn't have gotten luckier in that regard. Right. So anyway, I go in second round. Again, I'm out. The doctor comes back out. I, my wife has to sign a waiver essentially saying that if we need to amputate, we have clearance to do so. She said, of course, you know, as she should and go in. And again, I don't make the time. He cuts me open and I don't make the time a second time, dude, I, a second time. And he waits uh, an extra bit and he starts to see the blood come and then he starts doing his work. But so he's now I've cut on my finger in multiple places, the top of my hand, the bottom of my hand. Right. So he's essentially trying to push out the poisons that I have now because 40 years essentially of right. 
alcohol and cocaine addiction have literally destroyed my body. Yeah. And my liver can't take it. My kidneys can't take it. I can't process toxins or, or infections anymore. My white blood cells. So that's what happened is the alcohol and the cocaine didn't give, they gave me the infection because my body couldn't fight off what was normally a staph infection. Right. And fight it off because my body was so beaten down because of my addictions that it lost the fight to a normal staph infection. And staph lives everywhere and on everyone at all the time. And your body just normally fights it off. Right. What happened to me is I beat myself without sleeping sometimes days at a time or just an hour or two here and there to a point where my body physically could not resist normal strains of things that your body normally fights off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it goes in saves my hand a second time, doesn't have to amputate, although medically he said he, he could have and justified right. it, yep. saved it and come back out. I wake up, I have my hand again. And this, by the way, I did not yet know that they could have amputated until after both surgeries. Oh. My wife tells me and the doctor told me, comes in to check my dressings. And this is about the fourth or fifth day in. And they say, you know, you've leveled off. Like your infection is leveled. Meaning it's not getting worse, but it's not getting better, which right. from how bad I was to yep. level off huge. So this whole time I'm in the hospital, just my wife and I there. And I should point out that very few people give, came to see me or call. Some did. And the point that I'm making there is uh, this is what I had. This is a hard, nobody gives a fuck. Right. And they don't need to give a fuck about me. What I'm saying is you put yourself in these positions. You have to lick your own wounds and get through sure. this shit. And that's the ownership part of being an addict. You, you have to come to terms with some very hard truths that either you drove people away or they don't want to be around you or screw you because you're a pain in the ass. And you, every time they see you, you're a fucking problem, even though you're a good time. Yep. Some people at a certain age give up that stuff as they should, right? You don't drink anymore. Or if you do, you have a drink, you know, a glass of wine at dinner or something, not yeah. three bottles of wine like me. <laughs> so I managed to come off every day, they would take me off the IV tower for an hour, only an hour because they had to reset the IVs in the bags and dress me and clean me and all that stuff and give me a chance to, 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 so they can medically do what they needed to do for these transitional things. Right. And at that hour off every single day, I would go walk inside the hospital. They had this courtyard in an indoor courtyard, but it was outdoors right. inside the hospital grounds. And I would go walk and I could only walk from my room to the outdoor courtyard, I could walk maybe five, 10, 15 minutes tops. Right. And I would be exhausted, just exhausted. I'm 30 some pounds overweight. I'm an addict. I've never really exercised probably since like freshman year in high school for real. <laughs> right. And, and I've got, again, 40 years of these demons in my body that I've got to expel. And, and worse than that, the spirit of the demons. And I say that because in your mind, the fight it's a combination of a few things. So I would go through and I would walk until I couldn't walk physically anymore. And I'd go and I'd be almost puking to give you sure. an idea how bad I was. Yep. Go back to my room. They would, they would set me back up. I get back in the bed for my next, you know, ride until the next day I was off. And now I'm free of drugs and alcohol and cigarettes since the first day that I'd mentioned I'm in the hospital 11 days. And to give you an idea of a timeline here, open heart surgery patients are released in three days. Oh <laughs> and I'm in the hospital 11 days. And <laughs> I'm a disaster. I am a disaster. I mean, I am literally physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally destroyed. Right. I have lost 
almost lost my life. And by the grace of God, I saved, I was, I made it through. I made yeah. it through intact, physically speaking, and I'm alive. Right. And so you can see that the only remnant of it, I have my, my middle finger on my left hand is bent. I can't bend it. There's scar tissue in my knuckle that yeah. I could physically, I could go surgically get it removed and have full mobility and I won't do it because I want the reminder for the rest of my life of how fucking bad I was. Yes. I want my children to see it. I want, I want to see it every day. And there's more to that, but I won't remove it. Yeah. So get out of the hospital. I yep. come home and I didn't know what to do. I had nowhere to go. I didn't know. I, I knew the only thing I did know is I didn't want to be who I was. Sure. So I made a pact with myself that I would never go back ever. I would never go back. I won't drink anymore. I won't do drugs anymore. I won't smoke anymore. I'm done. But I didn't know how to do that. 40 sure. years of all that other stuff. That's what you knew. Brand new. Yeah. That's all I knew. That's yep. all I knew. Yep. And, you know, I had spent fortunes on drinking and partying and smoking and put not only myself, but my direct family and, and extended family in jeopardy, financially speaking, and made right. bad choices. And, and, you know, I try not to focus too much on that in, in podcast interviews, except to say that like everyone's worst nightmare coming yep. true, I live that, you know, yes. because you burn relationships and respect in your own honor and you financially don't make good choices and you blame everybody. Right. So now I'm home and didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. So I remember how good it felt when I did walk at the hospital. So I just started walking. And from my front door, I live in a neighborhood where there's a circular road that goes around from my front door to the right, all the way around that circle is about 1.3 miles. Right. Right. Every day in the morning, I would get up at 5 a.m. and I would walk one lap, right. one lap. And then that one lap, turned into two laps and then that two lap and then that two two laps turned into three laps but one in the morning one in the afternoon and one at night and i started building physically on that because i felt like i had to begin with a physical manifestation of the fight for me to represent the struggle to feel the struggle internally yes i was struggling with wanting to drink and wanting to do cocaine and wanting to smoke but i figured i'm going to fight that fight and grit it out physically. And that's what I did. And I am not suggesting just to be clear for anyone listening, <laughs> that, that that's the path you should take. I'm saying this is what the path I took and everyone's path is unique. Yes. And I'm, I'm a recovery agnostic. And I mean that I don't say that you're not recovered if you don't go to AA or NA. I'm saying do what you got to do to win the fight. Yes. And that's what I had to do to win the fight. And I rebuilt and taught myself brand new habits. The first habit is stop drinking, stop doing coke and stop smoking. That was number one. And I had 11 or 12 days in clean in that because of my hospital stay. Then started walking and I figured, all right, now I would do two, two laps in the morning, one lap in the afternoon, and then one lap at night and begrudging laps. These are not easy fucking <laughs> yeah, laps. Yeah. They're like, hard. They're different yeah. in every step, man. <laughs> I was. And my wife made me put on that thing on my phone. If I fell, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the ambulance would come because right. like literally right like look you can't don't fuck around here like you still are you're 35 pounds overweight yep. your blood pressure's insane i yep. had a pick line put in i had a nurse had to come here and be with me every fucking day for a month dude at oh, home. Man. i took so many met so many pills to uh clear the infection 
that right. it, it took all of the good bacteria out of my body too. So my body pretty much got like a, a, a chemical recharge. And I'm not talking shit about the medication. They gave me what I needed to take to clear. I'm not talking about pain meds here. I'm saying yeah. they gave me the, um, I, the, the word escapes me here, but <laughs> the, the, the pills to clear the infection. Yes. So yeah. those, then I'm going through and I figure, okay, I'm, I'm getting, I can do my two walk, my two laps in the morning. And then I, it, I went from taking one lap at 1.3 miles right. to, I was doing a five to six mile walk a day, every single day. Nice. And then I said, all right, I'm going to add bike riding. And then I started taking a bike ride and adding a five mile bike ride. So now I'm doing five mile walk, five mile bike ride. And then I'm like, this is great. So then this is my real saving grace for me um, is I added boxing. Yes. And so I turned my addiction on its head and became addicted to my recovery, but not in a, not in a bad way, not in sure. a malicious way, in a positive way, because I was building new routines and new processes. Yes. Which you have to be in recovery. You, you have to be tougher and meaner than your demons. And I love that. You have and, to be tougher and meaner than your demons. Love yeah, it. Yeah. And it, you stare them down and you, you challenge them and you use them against themselves and you muster every fucking bit of strength you have. Yes. And I was, there was a spiritual moment for me about my fourth or fifth day home where mm -hmm. I'm walking. And again, the walking is not easy. I, it was agonizing and painful and my body wasn't used to it. And I, I, you know, I didn't feel good after my walks. I felt beat sure. up and about, about of my 1.3 miles about the mile marker on that uh, fourth or fifth day, I, it was a kind of a rainy, drizzly day, cloudy. And I just thought, I'm, I, I don't know what, I'm not going to make it. And yeah. I started yeah. breaking down. I mean, I, I started to ball in the middle of the street because sure. I, I, I had come to terms that I put myself here. I, I am on my deathbed still like even though i'm out of the hospital i'm still on death's door and i don't know if i'm going to make it and i'm just bawling so imagine a 40 some year old guy in the rain crying in the street right and i'll never forget i get choked up sometimes when i tell this uh a little bit of the clouds opened up and a beam of light sunlight came down and hit me right in the face and just and I, it was my family in heaven telling me that you're going to make it. Just yep. keep fighting. Don't give up. Essentially, don't be a, don't be a bitch. Don't be a pussy. You did this yeah. to yourself. You keep yeah. doing what you're doing and push hard. You, you, you know, use that stubbornness of being an addict and, right. and justifying all the bullshit in your life for 40 years against yep. itself and keep doing it. Keep fighting. So I did. And I kept physically, safely pushing myself. And by safely, I mean, you, you don't go from nothing to five mile walk. You, you, exactly. you have to do this gradually. Step and you, by step. Yep. Step by step, literally and figuratively. And you stack positive things on you. I went, I started eating better. And by eating better, I mean, eating healthy and fresh foods and cooked meals instead of pizza puffs and shit like that in the <laughs> microwave at three in the morning. Cause I'm off the two day Coke bender, <laughs> you know, and not drinking pop and bad things like, you, you know, so I drinking tons of, tons of water and eating good and eating well 
and good for me. And I started exercising by the walking and the biking and then the boxing and the weight started to come off. I started to feel better. We figured out what the right mix was for my blood pressure medication because I, I, we had, you have to kind of do a little trial and error because some, the first few made me really dizzy. And we finally, my doctor was great, Dr. Ha, and we figured out the right mix for my BP meds. And the right. point of that is I added boxing. And dude, <laughs> let me tell you, it changed everything. Right. It literally made me feel amazing yep. physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Now this is not the kind of boxing where I'm going in and getting knocked out, punched in the face and right. getting the shit kicked out of me, but I'm doing all the workouts and I'm doing it five and six days a week. The only thing I'm not doing is sparring because yep. I'm 50, you know, at this point, I'm yep. at this point, I was like 47 right. and too old for that shit, getting knocked around <laughs> and stuff, not having grown up a fighter my whole life, professionally right. speaking. And yep. That level of dedication, focus that boxing provided me was amazing. And yep. I lost 35 pounds. I haven't had oh. a drink, a cigarette, or any cocaine or drugs of any kind, except my blood pressure meds, since the day before I went in the hospital. It's been three years. I now have my Dismantled Life podcast yep. to talk about its journeys from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety with the with a nod to that moment in the street where the clouds opened up for me and the sunlight hit my face. Oh, yeah. And it's I do everything I can to help others fight the fight and and get through it And because it, it's hard and it's in and it's it never goes away. It never stops. I'll tell you what does happen is. You, you have to believe in yourself. You have to be truthful with yourself. You have to be real with yourself. You have to take ownership of everything. You can't right. blame anybody. You have to know that this is your fault and you have to be true to that. Right. And you can't lie because lying and secrets have very, very sharp edges. Oh, yes. And when you start to come to terms with that reality, yep. the world becomes peaceful and calm. Yep. You don't have to buy the nicest car or the fancy materialistic bullshit yep. because you're just good in your own skin and you can become who you are because everyone's a wonderful person, but you have to exercise your demons to do that. And my demons were my alcohol and my drug addictions. Yeah. And that piece has been everything. And my relationship with my wife is wonderful. Yes. And my children and I'm clean and my podcast, I hope my podcast helps others get through this moment and whatever that moment's, whatever that moment is for them. And it's yep. been a wonderful journey. And I am grateful to say, not only am I alive here today, but I love who I am now. I'm, yep. I'm good in my own skin. I know how to get through situations without running to the bottle or yep. a drug dealer. Uh, yep. And it takes, you make a lot of mistakes in the recovery process because you have to learn new habits and replacing the old ones is very hard. Yes. But you can sure. do it. You can do it. You've got to figure out what your juju is. And I say it that way because I like to encompass the moving parts of recovery. Right. The mental, physical, emotional, spiritual components. And right. I'm a big Tony Robbins guy. Yep. And you don't have to be to get in recovery, but I love <laughs> the approach that, you know, you can't blame people for your shit. Yeah. without giving them praise for your good things. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so, and I, and I took that concept and it's become a mantra of mine. It's all Tony mm -hmm. Robbins, but the mantra of mine mm -hmm. is like, just own your shit, be yep. truthful, 
be be okay saying no to people. Be okay yep. Yep. Um, yep. in confrontational moments in in a positive sense. You don't have to be a dick about things. You can just yep. say, look, I don't have time for that right now or whatever it is. Yep. And give yourself the opportunity to be calm, to enjoy life. Don't don't put yourself in bad positions with, you know, mistakes piled on to mistakes. Yep. Yep. So yep. it's, and here I am, man, and I'm on your show and I'm grateful to be here. Well, you know, it's really cool about the whole thing, Anthony, is when I look at all the things that I know about you and then having heard this story, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is your resilience, which is off the charts. The other thing though, too, is you have one heck of a wife. <laughs> I do. About it. She offered that support and, I mean, I'm glad that she shared that stuff with her friends so the nurse could actually take a look at, at what was going on over there. That's and true. I, I am definitely blessed um, with an amazing and not only a wonderful wife, but a best friend. And, and she could have and should have given up on me years ago and didn't. And for that, I am forever grateful. Um, what, and she's awesome. I've never met her, but I hope I do one day because yeah. that, is, that is just simply amazing that she did that. Well, it really then, is. Then the other thing you brought up that was really cool is you got into boxing. And I've been a martial artist for years. I haven't competed in years. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, years. <laughs> right? But the one thing that I, I, I'm wondering if you like it, the, the reason I like it is because it teaches you to do two things. One, it teaches you to stand your ground, but it also lets you know when to retreat. <laughs> yeah. Right. And 100%. so. I look at that struggle that you went back and forth there and it's awesome because you found your stance, you found your position and all these, all these things. I mean, this sounds so dorky, but as you were telling me these stories, you're just a born fighter, man. And that's what I appreciate. That is I what that. I appreciate. You know, Thank it's, you. it's true. Yeah. Like martial arts uh, and I'll speak to it from a boxing perspective. Yeah. You're right. It gives you, it gives you the stamina and the wherewithal to, put the time in to push yourself beyond a limit that you didn't think you could. Right. Um, and I'm not just saying taking the beating here. I'm saying like physical workouts and the manifestation of I'm going to do this, getting your ass up every single day. I built positive routines or yes. in my recovery where I never, ever, ever did before where yeah. I get up at 5.00 AM every single day. Right. I go boxing, take a walk or a bike ride first thing in the morning. And I get at least three workouts in a day now. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do that, but I do it and I chunk it up because the boxing is eight rounds. Right. The walking is about a mile and 1.3, sometimes a mile and a half, depending on my route. And then biking in the summer, I'm in Chicago now, I'm moving to Tennessee soon. So nice. I can work out outside all year and then a five mile <laughs> bike ride. And the yeah. manifestation of that yeah. becomes everything because the positive momentum of those routines is comforting. And you can it becomes part of your process where if I skip one, I'm okay justifying it. I don't get itchy or tweaky if I don't go to on my bike ride or a walk. Right. I, if it's justified with, because you need to take some time to recover physically speaking, because your body needs some recovery time. Yep. But what I love, man, there's nothing that's better than the soreness that you've earned through yes. workouts. I love how you said that, that you've earned, that yeah. you've earned. It, it, it's true, absolutely true. Man, Anthony, I could go on and on and on. I'm, I'm thinking we need to have another show because I have a feeling that a lot of people, uh, it might not be drug addiction, but it might be something else, right? Um, and, and it'd be interesting to see, hear your journey because your for other elements of your journey, because you, you talked about how 
socially shunned because of the decisions, taking that ownership. And I'd love to delve deeper into that in another show. Would that work for you? Absolutely. I would love to come back and talk about that because that's a big part of it in terms of owning owning your failures and being graceful in your wins. And that's the balance. I think when you see people peacocking around too much, there's usually something they're hiding. Oh yes. No, <laughs> and I've no learned, I've learned that in recovery, that living in the center of that humility is very important and being graceful and gracious and open and loving and opening yourself up in a positive way to serve and help others means a lot. And that's a short answer to say that, that those steps along the way are everything. Um, yes. It gives you the strength to, to, to continue to win. Well, Anthony, I appreciate you being so honest and forthright, but the other thing to be uh, incredibly vulnerable, uh, it's, it's something that so many people need to hear because they're in that same position. Heck, I, I, I've been in the situations myself, not in, not in a, the addiction side of it, but when you feel all alone, and that is something that it's never comfortable to talk about. And I want, I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much. And if I could just say one thing in closing, is anyone listening that's struggling with being alone or suicidal or struggling with an addiction of any kind, just know you can make it. You will make it. It is hard and it takes a lot of work, but the most important step is the first one and then the next one and then the next one after that. Don't give up. Make a phone call. Call anyone that you need. Just get the help. You can do it. You can make it. You're not alone. You don't need to be alone. Maybe people need to think about it this way. Uh, if you're alone, it's because you might not be around the right people. True, true, true. Anthony, you are a rock star. Thank you again. And everyone, please go and listen to Anthony's podcast, The Dismantled Life. Uh, Thank you very much, Maurice. It's been a pleasure having being on your show, buddy. It's a pleasure having you too. And we will catch you soon. Thank you know you. it. All right. Thanks.